You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today we are going to talk about the journey that a business owner, founder may take as the business grows. There's a need for the owner to be able to change mindset and shift and grow with the business. It's a hot topic that a lot of people take for granted. And uh, my guest today is a gentleman named Scott Ritzheimer. Scott, welcome to the show. Doug, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited about the conversation. Scott's done uh, some good work in this area. And uh, full disclosure, I had the great opportunity recently to be on Scott's podcast. We had a really good uh, shot and uh, time together. So um, looking forward to what we can do here today. But um, Scott, uh, with that, give us a little bit of background on, you know, your work and how you got into the things you do. So for those who are watching online, I know I look like I'm about 22. Uh, for those who are listening, you didn't have to, you don't have to have that experience. Uh, so, but uh, folks kind of looking like, how in the world could you possibly do? Well, I've had the chance of helping launch and scale about 20,000 organizations, a lot of them nonprofits, a lot of them for profits, and uh, also had a chance to start, run, scale, sell my own business uh, through my 20s and early 30s, and in in walk through and making just about every mistake that you can, right? I think that's most founders' stories, uh, making all these mistakes myself, but then also having really the luxury of being able to see those same mistakes made at scale uh, through all these other founders that uh, we were helping. Uh, I started to see these patterns that were coming up in in just the, the natural progression, the sticking points that we bump into. So, you know, if we were to go all the way back, uh, I would I would not say I'm your entrepreneur's entrepreneur, right? Uh, I've always had that kind of entre entrepreneurial vein, but I, I wasn't the kid selling candy on the uh, on the school ground. You know what I mean? That that wasn't quite my story. I I actually was an accidental entrepreneur. I, I was in ministry at the time and looking just for some work to help pay the bills. This is back in my early twenties, and uh, hooked up with a guy who had a small business and about a, two months. Months after I I joined his team, just you know, helping out wherever I could, he sold the company, uh, and it was an owner finance deal. And long story short, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Right? We've got two sides of this equation. Both of them wanted the best for each other for the business, and it didn't work. And it, it didn't work in a catastrophic way. And so I had front row seats of watching a, a great business systematically but unintentionally destroyed over about an 18-month period. And I, I realized, uh, you know, there's so much that I learned in that season, but coming out of it, uh, the founder that I, I had linked up with had the opportunity to get the business back. And he took it, and when he did, he asked me to come on as an owner and help him relaunch the thing and rebuild it. And and from there, you know, that was 2008. In particular, it was September 2008. And it was not a great time to be starting My a timing business. timing was wonderful. 
<laughs> and so just to, to pause on the timing thing, I did this again at the beginning of 2020. Uh, and so if I ever start another business, Doug, I'll call you. We'll short everything and we'll make a lot of money together, yeah, right? <laughs> but uh, again, having front row seats, seeing it fall apart, seeing how a great business can, can really be whittled down to nothing, and then having the opportunity to do it again and do it better. Uh, it was just a, a a very difficult but wonderful way to start my professional career. And so we did. He and I co-founded uh, the relaunch of this company, built it up, uh, double-digit growth year after year after year uh, for a course of about 10, 13, uh, 10 to 12 years, uh, depending on where you want to start the clock on that. But um, again, you know, Throughout the course of that, I had no formal training in this. I, I went to business school, but I actually did it after the fact. Uh, that wouldn't have helped, right? <laughs> you know, from what I learned there. Right. And and what I felt like again and again was I knew how to do what we needed to do now, but I was tired of getting blindsided, right? I, I was tired of getting, you know, learning a set of skills, executing those skills. It worked really well. Think I finally have it figured out. And then all of a sudden the game changes around me. And, and, and both organizationally and individually, it felt like that kept happening. It, kept, it felt like I kept getting put in, in a position where I didn't have the skills that I needed for where we were going, and that was getting in the way. And uh, ultimately, um, you know, was able to work through some of that, built a wonderful team around me, uh, ended up selling the company. And as I was selling the company, I was like, what's next? What do I want to do? And I realized there was a lot of pain and confusion and, and just lostness to make up a word to describe it that I experienced as a founder and I didn't want other founders to have to face. And so uh, again, 2020, I, I jumped in and started a coaching consulting business. And, and that's what I do now. I help founders to scale their businesses and themselves. Yeah. You know, uh, it, very similar to your description there, I come at this with a, a, a similar experiential background. I, many of my listeners have heard me talk about this. I was a banker and for 20 years, I watched businesses grow, scale, and then crash. And thankfully, the majority of my clients, that was not what happened. But for those that did, I had a real sense of loss and grief for them because I had watched them get up to certain levels. And then the the um, the postmortem on all that, if you will, that I did, I realized it was ultimately down on the owner founder who was not able <clears throat> or unwilling to make some of the mental shifts that needed to be made for the good of the business to grow forward and uh it was i i ended up i gave it a name i called it the paradox of success and yeah. it um it, it repeated itself time and time again. And I likewise in my own business advisory work have, have tried to help owners know that that's a possibility. And I'm not saying to an owner that it's a guaranteed that at, at this date in the future, you're going to blow up. <laughs> but if we go in, you know, eyes wide open, so to speak, and, be aware of the warning signs. Uh, to your point, you won't have to get surprised when there's a shift either in the market or in the uh, the business itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think what it boils down to, if I were to go back and look at a lot of the mistakes that I made, a lot of them were learning, right? And you know, the first time you do something, I don't think you can make a mistake because you, you don't know how to do it. And so that's just learning, right? So ruling out the, hey, this is the first time I've been here. It's the first time I've done this. We're just going to try and figure it out as we go. Okay, we did that wrong. Let's let's you know do it another way. That's, that's here to stay, right? You, you actually don't want to avoid that because if you avoid that, you're missing out on so many opportunities that... You know, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. But when it comes to the mistakes that I kept making, right, when it comes to the the patterns that were really holding me back as a leader, I found what was happening for myself and what I see in the the folks that I'm coaching with and, and consulting with is we tend to apply the leadership lessons of the past or of the future and often do that neglecting the, the skills that we need to achieve success in the present, right? We, we get a lot of good ideas and we should all over ourselves, right? Uh, oh, I should do this. I should be that. I should be this other thing. And, and we, uh, you know, we take lessons that others have learned and we try to over apply them today. Or we take the skills that we've built in the past, the lessons we've learned ourselves, school of hard knocks, and we over apply them to the present. And in either case, what ends up happening is you're not optimizing your leadership strategy for now, for the stage that you're in right now. And that's what leads to a bunch of mistakes. It leads to burnout, leads to frustration on your team, uh, leads to a lack of performance in your organization. So much of the dysfunction that we have, both as leaders and as organizations, comes from not recognizing where we are right now and then dialing in on those few strategies that have a disproportionate return on investment today. Yeah. You know, it, as you were saying that, I'm thinking of the classic tagline that's popular now, what got you here won't get you there. And you, you said over applying things that you felt were successful, that got you to a certain point. And, uh, you know, I, I can think of examples where um, part of the shifting that needs to be made, and I'm going back to your learning point, Part of the shifting that needs to be made, I, I have definitely seen founders who basically shun the learning. They they say, I don't need to do anything differently. I don't need to embrace that new technology or that new principle or that new practice. I can just keep doing what I've been doing. And, you know, business history is littered with companies that didn't make that pivot. Yeah. And I think that I think we all kind of get that and we understand that to an extent. Um, what I think makes that so hard is that there is a time to do the thing that you've always done, right? Like there is a time when that serves us. That's why we hang on to it. There's a piece of that that's like, hey, I don't want to change. I'm resistant to change. But there's also a really big piece of it is like, but it's working, right? Uh, or more more accurately, it has worked. And so I think what what I the reason why I, I wanted to map out these different stages is to help people understand why something worked at one point and why it might not serve you the same way now or in the future. And uh, an example that I like to use of this, uh, take it out of the, the work world for a little bit, because it can be a little abstract, a little hard to put our finger on. But to to really dial in on how crazy this is, I like to use this analogy. So 
Imagine um, that uh, you know football team, right? There, it's fourth down, few seconds left. We're on the three yard line, you know, and we've got to get to the end zone. You score, you win. You you don't score, you lose. So coach calls the play. It's a fake handoff and then a pass to the corner of the end zone. Uh, everything starts working perfectly. They hike the ball. Quarterback gets it, fakes the handoff. Defense bites. Everyone goes after the running back. The wide receiver is should be completely on his own, but instead he's blocking, right? He got the wrong play. We tricked him in, as well. And the coach sees this and it's like horror of horrors. Like the whole play is about to fall apart. What do we do? And so the coach seeing all this unfold starts sprinting down the sideline. Like going back to like college days, they're zero to 40, like they're making it happen. And they're bolting down the sideline. They get to the corner of the end zone, the pass drop, they catch it in the end zone. It should be a touchdown. They're about to spike the ball and do their dance. But what happens? It's silence, right? Not a single sound. It's 80,000 people and you could hear a pin drop. And the only thing that's happening is these little yellow flags are flying toward you, right? And 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 what happens is, you know, too many men on the field. There's all kinds of rules that have been broken. Coach is an ineligible receiver. I mean, you've broken every rule in the book, but you've done that by doing what you did so well, right? You became coach because you were an excellent football player at one point. Uh, and, and how did you do that? By catching the ball. And like no time in, in the history of championship professional football have we ever seen this happen, right? It would be crazy if we did. It would be the talk of the century if we did. But it happens every single day in business. We run across the line, right? We run across the boundary line and we interrupt the play time and time again. And we and we we pride ourselves on it. And, and it's not necessarily that catching the ball is the wrong thing. It's that that's not your job anymore. Yeah, I like that analogy. I, uh, for the purest footballers that are watching and listening, uh, the play call, the fake and all that, I'm thinking of the Super Bowl with the Seahawks when, when it, it should have been a run, it should have been a run, but they... They fake the run and try to pass, and it it failed, and you know it it will forever go down in uh, uh, Pete Carroll's history as a as a bad call. But uh, anyway, um, I digress. So I, I I do like the analogy. You know, the owner founder getting in the way or getting in the middle of what's going on when they they should have allowed it to unfold. You know play for tomorrow and 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 see learn what you can in the moment and and see what what there is and and move forward well i i feel like we've kind of dogpiled on the on the on the on the uh process or the symptoms and the problems let what's the cure what's the what's fix the cure for it? yeah so, so the the biggest thing and this goes back to um Oh, shoot, I've just totally forgotten his name. Uh, you mentioned what got you here won't get you there. Um, Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall Goldsmith, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so the that's great, but the question is, okay, so where are we, right? Uh, th that's the very first thing I, I, I try to get across to folks is the most important question in business is not necessarily where, but when, 
right? Like, when are you in this progression? And I've outlined seven stages that that founders in particular go through. So there are, uh, like, it's leadership in general, but there's a very specific way that that leadership shows up for founders. And, uh, and so that's the very first thing is you've got to identify what stage you're in. Because, for example, if you're in one of the earlier stages, let's say you're an entrepreneur, you've got two or three people in the office, you have to make the diving catch, right? You're the one who's going to close the deal. You're the one who's going to, you know, uh, to pull the the all weekend, all nighter, you know, to, to make it happen. Like there's just an element of that where that's appropriate. So if you're a founder out there and, and you're in that stage, uh, you know, I call it the startup entrepreneur, but your goal is to be the star player on the field, like to go and execute well and to do it. But if you're not the star player on the field, the very same thing that would have been the driver for success at one point is no longer the driver for success. And so we can't come at this from a coaching perspective and say, hey, you shouldn't be catching the ball, right? Because that's that's a lot of times what we do is, oh, you shouldn't be X, Y, and Z. Well, if it depends on what stage you're in. If you're supposed to be the one catching the ball, then absolutely yes. If not, we've got to have a way of recognizing when that has changed. And so by outlining these different stages, we can help folks to recognize, hey, that wasn't always the wrong thing to do, right? At some point in time, it was right to you know, fill in the blank, to, to take the big sales call with a big client, to, uh, to jump in and you know, save the day like we do a thousand times a week uh, in, in the early startup mode. But how do you recognize when that's changed? That's what these stages help us to do. Yeah. Well, walk us through the, the stages as you have them. Yeah. So I like to use sports. Again, we overdo sports and war analogies in the business world. I apologize. It's just the way that it works. But it's helpful because there's a sideline on the sports field, right? And, and that sideline is really important. So walking from the very beginning, I think the, the entrepreneurial journey, the journey of a founder, our evolution of a founder actually starts before we ever get in the game. Right? I call it the, the dissatisfied employee or the trainee on the sideline. We're there watching the game and thinking, hey, I could do that. Right, Or even more accurately, I think I could do it better. There's there's this little element, and it could be arrogance, it could be pride, but I think it's the genius of an entrepreneur, right? Is is hey, we're, they're out there doing something. There's this kind of misconception that, and it's not so much anymore, but that entrepreneurs are like you know useless people working in their mom's basement, you know, and not working uh, in their underwear. But like the the reality of it is, most folks that you look at that are successful founders are actually really well employed. They're they're typically making somewhere between 130, 150, 170 percent of what is average for their position, whatever it is that they're doing. They tend to be good at what they're doing, but they leave these you know, well-paying jobs to go do something that has an 80% chance of failure. It's a little crazy, right? So the, there's a little bit of like, hey, we've got we've to be a little crazy to get in the game. Uh, so that's the first stage, the dissatisfied employee. They're out there doing something for someone else and they realize, I think there's a better way. Uh, and there's lots of ways to do that right. Oftentimes what we do is we try and skip that stage, but uh, we can come back to it later if we'd like. Next stage is where we actually do get in the game, right? It's the startup entrepreneur. We've decided we're going to make it happen. Uh, for me, this is when you, you you quit your day job, if you will, or you make this your full-time thing. Uh, it may not be paying for itself yet, but it's this is what I'm going after. This is what I'm going to do. 
And this is, uh, uh, the analogy is the star player in the game. And the focus in this stage is to be the best that you can be at doing whatever it is that you do, right? Be the best football player, be the best soccer player, be the best, uh, be the best coach or consultant, be the best, you know, uh, at designing culverts for industrial applications, whatever it is that you do, you want to be the best at it or the best that you need to be to make it happen. Now, what happens when you are the best, you start to bring in work, you bring in uh, more work means I need more help. You end up with a few people around you. And the vast majority of founders fall into this third stage that I call the reluctant manager. And I really struggled with this one at first because the other two are kind of like, hey, we're going somewhere, we're doing something. And then this reluctant manager is not something I want to really uh, you know, aspire to, right? I don't, I don't want to be a reluctant manager, but the reality of it is this stage and the next stage are, are difficult times for most founders not so much because the business isn't doing well, but because it's asking something of them that many of them are not hardwired to do. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> and so the analogy here is the captain on the field. And, and what's so hard about this stage is that you're still in the game. You have to, but, and you have to manage other people. It would be nice if it was just like, hey, I can step onto the sidelines right away, just manage everybody else. They can get hit, you know, and, and I can just call it like it is. We don't get to skip that step, right? There's this stage and it, it may be a year, maybe 10 years, it may be 10 months. You know, it, it there's not a set timeline on this, but there's a stage that we have to go through of learning how to lead on the field, learning how to lead from in the game where we are both doing and leading simultaneously. Now, what happens if we do that well, we're kind of mastering juggling at this point, uh, it, it leans more and more toward less doing and more leading, right? We're, we're moving out of, and it can be practical things like you used to be the one who had to get all of the P&L statements ready for tax time, right? We get rid of that pretty quickly. Uh, it could be as important as sales, right? It could be as important as managing the team of people who are in fulfillment, but slowly but surely, we, we kind of whittle away on the things that we're doing. We're on the field less and less. And we kind of wake up one morning, we find ourselves sitting on the sideline. And, and this is almost best case scenario, right? Let's assume we get a great team on the field, people who do all the things that need to be done, probably maybe better than you do, at least better than you do, because they can focus on it full time. And so you're executing well, company is growing, it looks awesome. And you're kind of standing there and it's like Ricky Bobby, like, what do I do with my hands? You know, like, <laughs> uh, and, and what ends up happening is founders end up sitting on silence like, is this it? Like, I don't get to I don't get to complete things like I used to, right? And instead, actually, it feels like I get in the way whenever I, I I do something. And and like I didn't get in this to just manage people. Like that's not what I want. And so they go into this fourth stage that I call the disillusioned leader. They've got the basics of managing, but they haven't quite found the fulfillment in it yet, right? They they haven't quite found that ability to. Uh, to coach and orient a whole team without having their hands on everything. And, and they, they kind of vacillate in and out of it. But ultimately, what they have to learn to do now is lead from the sideline. And that's, that's a big transition to make. It's a hard transition to make. But it's actually the most fruitful conversion, if you will. If you can get to where you can lead effectively from the sideline, it opens up this whole new set of opportunities and ideas. So the next stage from there is actually like uh, you've mentioned, I've heard before, but that transition from founder to CEO, that CEO is actually the 
fifth stage in the process. It's where you actually, for the first time, you've been calling yourself CEO since you started the business, but this is the first time that you really step into a CEO type role. You've got a COO who's who's even calling plays. You've got everybody set and doing their jobs and doing them well. Now it's your job to build a winning team, right? It's like being a GM. You're not worried about calling the next play anymore. You're not even necessarily worried about winning the game. You're thinking now about winning seasons, right? You're thinking about building people uh, and and bringing in the right people to, to build a dynasty, right? And, and that's where we really step into that CEO role for the first time. Now, fortunately, it doesn't stop there. Uh, and one of the, the really, really unique things that founders get to do, and it's part of why leadership is different, I think, for founders than a lot of others, is that there's still two more stages to go. So the sixth stage is where we become what I call a true owner. It, it's where we actually can step out of the business uh, for real and for good, if we want to, right? Where, where you know, you've, you've heard lots of people talk about it, but it's you own and not run. Uh, and, and it's this ability to actually bring in the, the key thing here is that you have to learn how to hire and, and effectively manage, although that's a, a, a tricky word to use, another visionary, right? You've got to be able to put another visionary in place in your company and lead them well as an owner. And when you do, it opens up just a whole new world of opportunity. An example of this is uh, Mario Lemieux. I'm a hockey fan. I'm from Pittsburgh. You can't but help like Mario Lemieux. Well, during his time, just an unbelievable player, he uh, helped lead the Penguins to two Stanley Cup playoff victories in his time uh, on the ice. Uh, he has five rings. Right in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, he ends up um, uh, taking ownership of the team. And as an owner, he led the team to three more Stanley Cup championships. And so he's got three rings that he didn't have to shoot a single puck for, right? He's got three rings that he didn't have to get on a plane and fly, you know, unless he wanted to. And, and the thing about being uh, the, the owner is you can be at the game if you want to, right? No one ever told him he couldn't be at a game, but he never had to to win. And, and that's what being a true owner is all about. And again, it doesn't stop there. Uh, and, and what makes the true owner thing so satisfying to me is not that you, don't, you can make money and not work. That's wonderful. That's great. But there's only so much golf we can play, right? Uh, the thing that makes it worth it is that it allows us to go to the seventh stage, which I actually call the visionary founder where we get to go almost go back to the beginning. Now, some people choose to do that literally and go back and start again. But I think the, the bigger uh, offer available is to be able to go back and do it with others, right? To support other visionaries in the process, to, to help them understand what it takes to win now and, and ultimately leave the legacy that we all long for. I like those. That's a that's a great continuum of experience that um, is is definitely consistent with what I've seen in reality and in, in business. And each one of those has their own decision points that the individual has to make about going to the next level or or being that person and and find the the comfort and. Um, security of, of, of being that. And, you know, a lot of times I, I find owners who say they, they want to be that owner, manager, founder that doesn't have to be there, but there's something in their DNA that won't let them ever do that. They're, they're always 
somewhere touching something. And, you know, one of the ways I can usually get somebody's attention to begin the process of changing their thinking about that is the fact that, you know, are you really happy signing those checks every day? Or yeah. Is that really yeah. fulfilling your vision? You know, why can't you delegate that to somebody? Why can't you? And if they say, well, I don't know that I've got anybody I trust. Well, shame on you. You didn't, you know, that's another decision you yeah. did not make. Yep. So uh, it, it is a challenge and it is. And, and as I think through your, your stages there, I think about um, so many examples of people that have gotten to those certain levels and maybe they made the breakaway or maybe they didn't. Um, on the plus side, I'm thinking of a gentleman I, I met who left his corporate gig and wanted to do this, this, I'll call it, I don't mean anything disparaging, but I'll call it empire building. And the way he chose to do that, he invested in franchises. So they're somewhat ready-made businesses. But what he did, his real focus was developing the leadership team on the site so that he was not the GM or the director or the, the manager of that site. I mean, he was for a season while he trained everybody and got everybody built up and scaled, but he incentivized the senior members of those teams with profit sharing. But his model was to rinse and repeat and do that over and over again. And yeah. at last count, I think he was into about eight different franchises and maybe 16 locations of things. Yeah. And uh, his, his model for developing his management teams was the real secret sauce. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that is a visionary founder uh, at, at its best, right? And uh, it's the thing that I love about that. And very, very few people decide to go all the way. I won't even say make it, but decide to go all the way to stage seven. You can stop at any stage. Some are not as fun as others, right? And I wouldn't recommend stopping there, but um, uh, and I'll come back to that point in a minute, but visionary founders, that's what they do, right? They, they understand uh, the journey and they may not have language for it. They may not call it the same stages or anything like that, but instead of just kind of sitting back on their laurels, they use that to, to say, Hey, how can I do this to build, uh, to build more, to, to, to continue investing into the world of business. And that may be for monetary reasons, no problem with that. It may be for legacy reasons, no problem with that. Maybe because they they just enjoy it, right? Uh, but it's that decision of, hey, he doesn't have to work. He does not have to start another franchise. And yet he chooses to, uh, and he goes in and, you know, either consciously or subconsciously works through these different stages so that he can get out of them quickly as possible and stay in that visionary founder mode. So what are some of the warning signs that you're about to enter into the, the next phase? Yeah, so uh, I actually put all these together because it's a lot to cover in a, a topic like this. So I'll just say this now. There's an ebook that has all of this, right? So if you're kind of if you're driving, don't take notes. <laughs> you can you can get a, a copy of it. Uh, and so we'll we'll make sure everyone can get uh, a copy of that for free. But uh, every stage has a transition point, and a lot of them have to do with uh, to make it simple. Someone.
someone else in the organization taking the role that you were in. For example, the captain on the field, right? Uh, again, we, we overdo the sports analogies, but it's just helpful here. Uh, in football in particular, you typically play one side of the ball in professional football, right? And so you could be the quarterback of the team still, but you're not out there on defensive plays. And so one of the indications that you have that you're moving out of that captain on the field is that you have someone who can play defense and play offense, right? You, you've got someone who can help head up a sales team and help head up the ops team, right? You've started bringing in the people. So a lot of these are, you know, you've brought someone else into the role that you were filling. Again, an, an easy example of that, let's say you're getting out of the star player mode. Well, the reason that happens is because you've hired five, 10 people who are being star players in their own right. You've got someone who's doing, you know, fill in the blank. It's different for every business, but uh, that's a, that's one of the best indications. Is do I have other people doing what has brought me individually success in the past? Do I have other people catching the ball, right? Do I have other people throwing the ball? Uh, and so that's one of the key indications. And, and that actually follows the whole way through. So one of the best indications that, you know, being the GM, uh, you know, being that chief executive is you've got another coach calling the plays, right? If you have someone else that's ready, uh, the, other, the flip side of that is if you want to be the GM, if you want to sit in an air-conditioned box, right, uh, and not be there in the rain on the sideline or whatever it may be, then you better get to work training your next next coach. And, 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 you know, you brought up that example of someone uh, before who, you know, they're, they're signing their own checks. Well, it's like, you're not going to be a coach on the sideline if you're still having to go in on special teams and sign checks. So right. uh, th that's probably the easiest way of summing it all up is as you see other people stepping into doing what you used to do to create success for the organization, that's a good sign that something is changing, right? If you see yourself on the sideline, you're not there. Like you, uh, here's examples for uh, the biggest one that's hard is that coach on the sideline, right? That, that's, that's really the one that I found founders struggle with the most. So signs of that are uh, you you didn't make that sales call, right? Like there are clients who come through the whole process and you never even talk to them. That's a good indication that you're on the side, right? Uh, another one uh, is there are people that are hired that you didn't hire, right? Uh, that that's a, a sign that you're you're transitioning. Um, you know, headcount is is helpful, but I don't I don't like to over rely on it because it's so different for different businesses. But um, those are those are all indications that hey, we're starting to move out of this. There's a sideline now, and when you cross it, it interrupts things. Yeah, yeah. I think all of those are great decision points and inflection points that owners ought to be sensitive to. And I, I, I love the couple of points you made about the one that really resonated with me is the whole idea of people are getting hired that you didn't hire. And, um, and, and I might put an asterisk on that. People are hired that you didn't hire and they're working out. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and that's it working well as opposed to working and poorly. Working well, yeah. Because that's a great point. So let's say one of the problems with outlining these stages is that that someone can weaponize them, right? It's like, oh, I just want to be a coach, right? I don't want to be a star player on the field. I just want to, I just want to do this. And we try and skip stages. You don't get to skip stages. Now you can shorten stages, right? But you don't get to skip them because you won't really learn how to coach well if you never learn to 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 be that captain on the field, 
right? You'll, you'll never know how to GM well if you don't know how to coach well. And so one of the most common examples of this is there's this idea of like, if you hustle, you can build a company that you own and don't run, right? Like the whole reason I'm starting a company is so that I don't have to work in it. That's fine. Uh, and, and I can understand that mentality, but you have to realize that to do that, uh, your uh, your story earlier is a great example of this. By doing that, you don't get to just skip to step six. You have to have a strategy for stages one, two, three, four, and five to get there, right? So we don't get to skip steps. We don't get to just say, hey, I want to be an owner. Um, you, you guys do it, right? The, there's the the example of the, the owner who's burned out. They're usually disillusioned leaders, stage four. I don't know what I'm here for. I just cause problems. I'm sick of being here. I've done this for so long. Uh, you guys just handle it. And they walk away, but they, the, the, it's kind of like saying, hey, you guys manage this door. You know, this is your, it used to be my responsibility. It's your responsibility. You manage the door, but I'm going to keep the keys. You know, and it's like, well, that doesn't work, right? You've, you've tried to skip right. a stage and it's not effective. It's going to burn out your best people and it's going to fail on you. So uh, another example of that is the one that you just brought up of, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the, uh, the, you know, the GM. I'm not going to make low level hiring decisions anymore. You do it. And we, we, we delegate by abdication when we try and skip stages, and that doesn't work. And you end up hiring people that you never met that you shouldn't have hired, and that becomes a really big problem. Yeah. Well, and all of these stages are packed full of critical and important leadership and management principles. I, I'm thinking of the big one that often trips people up, and that is delegation. Being an effective delegator of responsibility and to set somebody up for success to receive the delegation of authority, there's a lot of training and development that goes into that. And you have to show them the right way. You have to let them practice. You have to sometimes let them make the mistakes that are going to be the best learning for them. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and it's I, interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I can think of a, a, this is a large corporate example and, and it's way over the top. But I, I know an enterprise who made some radical changes and they created a whole new business unit and they agreed that at a transactional level, if they made a mistake on 25 or 50 million <laughs> it was going to be okay. Because wow. in the really big scheme of things, they could, number one, they could make up for that. And number two, there was no other way to develop and evolve this business unit than perhaps missing the call on a couple of transactions. Yeah. But they had to really re-gear their, their, the mentality they brought into the game because previously there was no tolerance of that kind of yeah. loss. Yeah. So they had to really retool that. And I'm, I'm overstating an example to, to maybe make the point that I think entrepreneurial owners have to have that same kind of willingness that if I'm going to grow to the next level, I'm, I'm going to hire a chief operations officer. And if my material waste goes up 10% for, a, for the next 90 days, I'm okay with that. I'm going to let yeah. them figure it out. I'm going to yeah. let them go that direction. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's a great illustration of how these stages show up as well. So let's look at delegation. Um, it's possible to delegate too early, right? So if you're a star player on the field, um, let's take someone from professional services. This is a common pattern. Lots of people in professional services get into doing what they do because they enjoy it, right? I'm a great CPA. I'm a great coach. I'm a great accountant, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm, I'm great at marketing, uh, they don't get into it to be a great sales rep. And so they realize that's you know probably about 70% of the deal. And so what a lot of them try and do is they try to find ways of kind of subbing that out of either hiring someone to do sales or hiring a company to do sales or you know whatever it is. They try and they try and delegate it out effectively is what's going on, but they don't actually know what it is they're selling in the first place. And so delegation can actually be highly problematic in the star player if we haven't learned enough about what we're delegating to make sure we delegate it well. And then what happens is <clears throat> we start by delegating how. Here, here are the steps of what I want you to do. I just brought in a, a VA team and I did SOPs for all of them. Here's how we do this. Here's how we process a podcast. Here are each of the individual steps. Go that's what delegation looks like relatively early on. Then we start to delegate the what. I, I don't really care how you do this, right? I, I've, I've trust you. I know you, you know I, I've hired you for your skills. Here's what I need you to do, and then we start to delegate the why, right? Here's why I want you to do it. Go figure out what we need to do, uh, and then even later stages, we we delegate the ability to delegate the why, right? Where we bring in another visionary leader says, hey, here's what's important. Here's why this is so important. Now you go, and so. Each of these skills that we look at, there is a, there's even a right and wrong way of exhibiting that skill based on the stage that you're in. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And with that, Scott, we're about up on time for this episode, but thank you for sharing that framework. And tell, tell people the best way to get a hold of you and maybe grab that ebook that you mentioned. Yeah, head on over. Our company website is called scalearchitects.com. Uh, and if you go to scalearchitects.com slash founder, you can get a copy of the ebook there uh, for free. Uh, just pop your email address. We'll email it over to you. And, and that's really the best way to start this. On the uh, website, you'll find all kinds of information. You mentioned the podcast, uh, The Secrets of the High Demand Coach. You can find it there. There's a number of free assessments and resources that you can use. Uh, so that's the best way. And you'll find on just about every page, there's a button for you to get in touch with me as well. So uh, scalearchitects.com forward slash founder. And, uh, and you'll, you'll get a copy of the book there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, Scott, one last time, thank you so much for hopping in and spending some time and sharing. I, I love the model. I love the concept. It, it's really a, a valuable consideration for those owners out there that are maybe today they feel stuck. They wonder yeah. what's going on. Well, Think about this framework. Ask yourself the question, what stage am I in and what is my next move to get this thing uh, back on track and moving in the direction I really want it to? Well, all right, folks, we're going to uh, sign off, but I do like to remind everybody we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, uh, scan the videos. Give us a like, uh, mash the button there, let us know what's going on and what you think. And if you've got any ideas or suggestions for new shows, let me know. Would love to hear from you. For now, we'll sign off, say goodbye, have a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. 
hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.